as you have gathered today to worship the Lord, to reach out to that highest name of all, man, I pray that you have your socks blessed off. I pray God surprises you today. I pray that he calls you to obedience and that you're willing to take that risk. I just got a little bit of uh, housekeeping to do before we jump into the sermon. Uh, first of all, first of all, today is December 17th, which means two things. Number one, it means today is Miss Jeanette's 90th birthday. I, uh, my phone told me this morning that we had a 90-year-old matriarch in the church. So happy birthday. I would sing happy birthday to you, Jeanette, but it would be like <laughs> offensive, so I'm not going to. I'm pretty poor. Would y'all celebrate 90 years of following the Lord? Man. Hey, listen, something, something I love at our church family is we have some senior saints, some matriarchs and patriarchs like Miss Jeanette, who have followed Jesus faithfully for decades and still love him well and want this church to flourish and thrive and grow and lead in faith. I hear horror stories of churches that have generation wars where the younger people and the older people are at odds. Man, I have never seen that here. It is my pleasure to lead with a family where grandparents all the way down to the great-grands love Jesus together on the pew. So thanks for making that so special today. We're glad to share your birthday. The other thing is on your birthday uh, in the year 2000, remember when we thought the computers were going to shut down and the world was going to die? Y2K. Anybody remember that? Raise your hand and show your age. Well, it didn't. It didn't. Anyway, in December 17th of the year 2000 was my very first Sunday at Carterville Baptist Church. I remember that because I, my first Sunday was December 17th on a Sunday. And, the, and Monday, the day after, I also made a very good decision. I proposed to my wife, Lindsay. So Sunday and Monday, when, when they fall in the 17th and 18th, fall on Sunday and Monday for me, I love it. So it's kind of funny. I remember Brother Hogan presenting me to the church as the interim youth minister. And I'm going to show you how important I was at the time. I love Brother Hogan. It's not a comment about him. But when Brother Hogan introduced me to the church, I mean, I hadn't met anybody. I had some phone calls, had a quick interview. I think I was introduced as Ken Skipper. And so uh, on December 17th, old Ken got started. And uh, anyway, I've been following him ever since. Man, you know, I, I had no idea this would, this would be more than interim student ministry for a couple of weeks. And he didn't either. And man, what a blessing to get to serve with him and remember him today. And I can tell you this, in, in 23 years of loving you guys, I've seen a lot of really special things. And I'm proud of you. I've watched y'all raise kids. I've watched you get married. I've seen baptism turn into family lines. Like It has been an absolute pleasure for 17 years. And one of the things that has blessed me a ton uh, before I jump into the sermon today that I have to say out loud is, is in August of 07, we called Chris and we brought hope and getting to watch you guys walk with Jesus for 16 years here. So I, this is what happened to me. I, I was in the, in the baptistry, and we were, I was finishing up bapt, baptism with Nick. And I had a few words I wanted to say to you. And I knew I felt like I needed to say them to you before we were all done. And, you know, Nick came out of the water and said, finally, man, my heart was so full. It's just good to be with him. And I felt like I needed to invite the rest of you guys to baptism. And I had a, just for a second, I thought to myself, oh, I need to communicate to Chris. Don't start singing yet, right? And here's what was cool to me, as I didn't have to say anything, right? I, he was standing up looking at me, I was looking at him, and I just thought, man, it is so good to have a hand in a glove. Like, just that I don't have to, I don't have to have an awkward symbol, or I don't have to splash water, right? At, at the, like, it just was good to have a brother that I love, and I know loves me, and I get him, and he gets me, and to work with you. Man, I love you, so I'm proud of you. Way to go. All right, John chapter 10. 
My challenge as you turn your Bible, Chris said yes to Jesus and came here 16 years ago. Hope said yes to Jesus, has blessed our church staff. Miss Nagy's been saying yes to Jesus for 90 years. People are saying yes to Jesus. Today I want you to say yes to Jesus and see where it takes you. And on your 90th birthday, tell the stories. So John chapter 10, turn your Bibles there. Let's dive into this sermon about the Messiah. My big idea today is that you and I have an idea in our minds of who we want Jesus to be. And we, we constantly are trying to reshape Jesus to make him what we want him to be instead of surrendering to him for who he is. And in this sermon today, I'm basically asking you, would you come to the end of that? Like, would you decide today that you'll take the entire package, all of Jesus, that you will submit to him for who he is, not for who you wish he was, not for an easier savior to follow, but that today you're going to start saying yes to the Jesus that came, who lives, who died and was raised again for the Jesus who rules us today. So say yes. Now let me pray for you to find the courage to do that and we'll run into the text. Father, I ask your blessings over my brothers and my sisters. God, I ask your favor over us. I pray that today you would rule us, shape us in your image. God, I pray that today that you would do business with us that we can't run from, that our pride and our fear, Lord, today would be put aside. That God, we'd stop worrying today about what neighbors think and others think, and that we would fear you and love you and follow you. So I pray that in the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you might grant us grace for that as we read your text. I pray that in the scripture we'd hear your words and that we would willingly surrender. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to read in just a moment, starting in verse 22 and moving forward, about some people that were looking for a Messiah. My sermons this Christmas season are about Christ as Messiah, who he was, what he did, what he came to be, what people wanted him to be. And today this is a sermon about a Jesus that came to be who he was, not who people want him to be. So I kick off with this little illustration. I don't know about you guys, but, but have you ever met those people that like they, they, act, they act like they really want you to speak into this, but really they got their own ideas. And at Christmas time, it might, it, might, it might look something like this. It might look something like, hey, what do you want for Christmas? And you say, oh, well, I'll tell you what I want for Christmas. I want a new backpack I want a, or, or, or a new fishing rod. Oh, a new fishing rod would be great. You know, I would a jigsaw, a new jigsaw would be great. My, Lindsay, mine's kind of going. Lindsay's on the live stream today. Hey, babe, my jigsaw's kind of coming in and out. I think I burned out something in the, in the power stuff. So anyway, new jigsaw would be great. I'll show you which one. Call Tommy Freeman. He'll tell you a good one to pick. Yeah, you got your list. You're like, this is kind of what I'd want. And that person that's, that's looking at the gifts, you know, they're going to look back at you and they're going to say, oh, you know, well, you know what? Wouldn't it be nice to have a tie? Wouldn't you love a new tie? Of course, every man in the room is like, no, right? Or, or your beloved, you know, your shoes are starting. What if I got you some new shoes? What if I got you a crock pot? You know, much as I'd like a crock pot, I'd rather have a motorcycle, right? So, so you, you know, have you ever had that person? Man, they've got, man, they, they love you and have a plan for your life. They're just not Jesus, but they love you and have a plan for your life. Well, that's kind of what Jesus run into today. Some people that want to reshape him into his image. We're going to, we're going to read verse 22 and following. I'm going to walk you through the text as we go. So it starts out 
at, at a Jewish festival that you're never going to find in your Old Testament because it's not there. It's called the Feast of Dedication. You and I know it as Hanukkah more commonly, but this is something that happened after the Old Testament was finished and before the New Testament got kicked off. I'll tell you more in a minute, but that's where they are. Verse 22. Okay, so then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him were saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they'll never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I want to pause right there and sort of set this up. So they're walking around the temple at the Feast of Dedication or Hanukkah. It's about this time of year. This year, the Feast of Hanukkah would have started on December 8th, if that gives you context. It's a Christmas time thing for us. So it's about this time of year. They're walking around the, the temple and they're talking about the Messiah. Now, I'll bet that as most of you here today are probably Baptist or some you know, non-denominational background or what have you, you know, you're just visiting family. Maybe you don't know a lot about Hanukkah. I didn't. I always thought, okay, I know it's a Jewish holiday. I know they call it the Festival of Lights. I know they, the menorah is important. I don't really know much else about Hanukkah. Well, let me kind of show you why this matters. When, you, when it's a feast of dedication, when it's Hanukkah, the temple and the Messiah are going to be two things that are in view. So they're walking around in the temple and they're asking him, hey, tell us really plainly, are you the Messiah. Let me show you why the backstory matters. Well, at different holidays, we're thinking about different things. I'll, I'll just kind of pop quiz. Kids in the room, I want you to tell me what you think of, okay? I'm going to give you a holiday. You tell me what you think of, okay? All right. So the first one I'll throw out there is July 4th. What do you think about? Fireworks, baby. But what else do you think about, right? Independence, our history, the Declaration of Independence, freedom, right? Okay, so you're going to think about your country because that's what the holiday's for. Okay, here's another one. Thanksgiving, what do you think of? Turkey, turkey baby, yes. Because all the stories we've been told about how the, the pilgrims had turkey and corn and you know, the Indians saved and we're so thankful we survived, right? Thank you. All right, so we're gra it's gratitude, it's provision, it's a table, it's a meal, right? Okay, now if I said Christmas, like some young kids probably going to Santa Claus. Everybody's going to think about, you know, gifts and Jesus and the wise men and the angels. Okay, so what, all I want you to know is that the, the festival, the celebration, it's got some baggage, right? It's got context. It brings with it some conversations. Every July 4th, I promise you, some old guy at your table, and I agree with him, is going to look up and go, Ah, they, they died to make us free and now we're running this country or whatever, right? They're, they're thinking about independence, right? Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. You're, you're going to be thinking about God. These are the topics. These are the topics that come up, right? We started so much gift giving at Christmas. We all start talking about materialism and go, hey, are we too commercialized these days? And shouldn't we just love each other and be thankful for Jesus and have peace? And these are the topics. Let me tell you the story 
of, of Hanukkah, so you'll, you'll have the background. Feast of Dedication. Uh, Carter, I've got a couple slides that will help you if you want to help my friends tell the story. The Jewish months are different than our months. This, this happened in 167 B.C., so roughly 167 years before Jesus was born. The Greeks were ruling the Holy Land. And honestly, the Holy Land had been like a, a battleground between some Egyptian kings and some Greek kings. To be honest, they were all Greek, but you have to take Western Civ to know the difference. But they're fighting over the Holy Land, and dadgummit, God's people are stuck in the middle. Well, one of the Greek kings, a guy named Antiochus IV, the, a guy who was nicknamed Antiochus Epiphanes because he believed he was an epiphany from heaven, a revelation from God of what a ruler should look like. Well, he had a problem with the Jewish people and he was very angry. Had a lot of reasons, it's politically convoluted. But one of the things that he did is he decided if he was ever going to rule his empire well, these Jews had to stop praying to their monotheistic God. They were offending Zeus. They were offending Hermes. They were offending the gods of the Greek nation. And they just would not conform to the image of his world. So he outlawed Judaism. He outlawed circumcision. He outlawed worship on the Sabbath. Like he started making rules that if he catches you following the laws of Moses, he's going to have you killed and hung on a cross for people to witness. Like that literally, if a mother circumcised her child and was caught, she was going to be hung on a cross. She'd watch her family be butchered in front of her eyes and they would hang her dead baby around her neck as she dies on the cross with that being her last. I'm not making this up. You can read it like it's in, it's in ancient texts in the Apocrypha, the book of Maccabees, right? So this was the brutal world that Antiochus IV brought on the people of God. Not only that, but he took the temple. He went into God's temple and he desecrated it. He started sacrificing pigs, which were unclean to the Jews, worshiped them, in an, built an altar to Zeus over God's altar, and he literally took God's house and turned it into a pagan temple and started to desecrate it. So on the 25th day of the Jewish month of Kislev, which this year for us would have been December 8th, next year it'll be a different day. They're on a lunar calendar. We're on a solar one. It's a mess. But basically around Christmas time, on the 25th day of the month of Kislev, 167 BC, the temple is desecrated. And, and Antiochus starts a campaign to make people worship Greek gods. So he sends his priests into little villages. And basically they, they go into a village and they grab a pig and they, they find somebody and say, Hey, listen, you've got to offer a pig as a sacrifice to our gods right here in your village as a way to show that your village is a part of our community. That you're, that you're worshiping our gods now. That you're going to repent from your sins of following that God that you've talked about since Abraham. So who's going to worship, who's going to worship our gods? Who's going to sacrifice this pig? Well, they went into one little village, a village called Modin, about 14 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And, and, the, and the guy walks in. He says, all right, I, you've got to sacrifice this pig. Who will do it? They ask everybody to do it. Nobody wants to do it. There's, there's an old and righteous priest named Mattathias of the Hasmonean family line. They ask Mattathias, will you sacrifice this pig? He says, no way, I'm not, not happening. So they go around until they finally force a guy that's going to come forward and sacrifice the pig. Mattathias has enough. 
Mattathias in great zeal for God. In anger, he draws a line in the sand. He jumps up, grabs, grabs weapons from their soldiers and starts to kill them. And other people jump in. So they kill this Greek priest. They run the little militia out that had come in to make them sacrifice a pig. And he looks up and says, who's with me? So Mattathias, think of the name Matthew. Think of how many people in the Bible are named Matthew. So Mattathias, the Hasmonean, runs into the wilderness and people flock to him. Jews that were fed up, Jews that wanted to worship God again, they flock into the wilderness with him and they start this campaign of guerrilla warfare against the, against the Greeks that currently occupy their land. They fight for about three years. Now, Mattathias dies of an illness a, a few months into this and his son Judas takes the reins. Don't miss the fact that two out of the 12 disciples were named Judas. Everybody's naming their kids Judas until Judas Iscariot does his thing. Why? Because when Judas takes over from his dad, he is such a good warrior, such a good leader. They nickname him. And in 164 8, uh, BC, Judas Maccabeus, the Maccabees, whose name literally means the hammerer, like he hits the Greeks so hard with his guerrilla warfare that just like for us, you know, when, when we started to fight the British off in the revolution with guerrilla warfare, how we won, right? So when he starts to fight the, the Greeks off with guerrilla warfare, he starts to win. They have a political problem on another front. They have to divert some of their attention. And in 164, Judas the Hammerer, Judas Maccabee, makes his way back into the temple. He runs the Greeks out of it. He and his warriors, they start to purify the temple. They cleanse it. They get rid of the pigs. They get rid of the, the, the idols. They get rid of the, the pagan altars. They cleanse it. And on the 25th day of Kislev, the exact same day that it was desecrated three years ago, they redeem it. They get it back and they dedicate it to God. They cleanse it and sanctify and purify it. And then they start worshiping God again. Like the reason that it's the festival of eight days of lights is because they needed seven days of consecrated oil in order to start worshiping God again, to, to burn the menorah lamps again. And they didn't have it, as the Jewish legend goes. They didn't have enough oil. And they had a tough decision to make. Do we start worshiping God now because we're so ready and just hope that the oil holds? Then we'll get embarrassed when it runs out and have to wait a few days. It takes seven days to consecrate the oil. So we could just set the oil aside, a bunch of it, wait seven days, and then we'll be able to start worshiping God knowing that we won't be interrupted. Well, they didn't know what to do. They prayed about it and decided, let's start and see if God provides. So they filled the lamps, lit them, and God miraculously let the oil last until the end of the seventh day. So that eight days the lamps burned and then they had fresh oil. That's why Hanukkah is the eight days of light. Now you got a Baptist education, right? What does that have to do with Jesus? Well, the Bible tells you he's walking around the temple, which is the, the place where the redemption and cleansing happened. And the question is, tell me plainly, are you the Messiah? For years you've heard preachers say that the Jews wanted a Messiah like King David, a warrior king, somebody who could fight the Romans out. Well, I want you to know that asking Jesus at the Feast of Dedication, tell me plainly, are you the Messiah? I can't help but think they're looking up at him and saying, we need Judas to come back. We need a hammerer to run the Romans out. 
and I've seen you do miracles, and I've seen you say nice things. I've heard the power in your voice. I've seen, I've seen you do some impressive things, but I just need to know plainly, when are you going to run the Romans out? Do you own a sword? When are you going to give us our nation back? We need a hero. Are you him? And I can't help but think that it was the Maccabean revolt in 167 to 164 B.C. that helped them pick up this strong layer of man, the, the, the shoot of David, the stump from Jesse is going to be a warrior king. He's going to have David's strength. He's going to conquer and run the Romans out. I have a hunch that these Jews were looking at Jesus saying, we want a Messiah, but we want a particular one. Now tell me, are you going to be him? Okay, stop. Gang, you and I do the same thing many years later. We look up at Jesus and we want him to be our king, but here's what we do. We make him into our own image. Let me tell you how. We have four gospels that tell the life of Jesus. We take all four of them, the written narratives. So we've got all these stories to read and interpret. And what we do, whether we do it accidentally or intentionally, I don't know, but we do it. We go to the gospels and if we want a, if we want a loving Jesus that will let us sin any way that we want to, we go through the Gospels and we put a highlighter on any text where Jesus is talking about grace or love or mercy or not throwing the first stone. And we come out of the Gospels saying, well, look, there was, Jesus is all love. Now, we went through the Gospels blind with a sharpie, a marker, marking out every text where Jesus said, let me tell you about the cost of discipleship. If anyone would come after me, he has to take up his cross, die to himself and follow me. We go through the Gospels and we find the friendly Jesus. We mark out any text that would be a mad, mean Jesus. And we walk away going, hey, listen, Jesus doesn't care what I do. Long as I show up on Sunday a couple times a year, long as I, long as I you know, say a few prayers to the good Lord, I can sin all I want and Jesus is good with me. He'll forgive me every morning. His mercies are new every morning. And that's how we kind of go through the Gospel texts. We find the verses we like, ignore the verses we don't, and we come out of it shaping a Jesus that suits us. And because you have four Gospels and an awful lot of verses and an unbelievable amount of creativity, man, we can shape Jesus into almost any image we want. There's some angry fundamentalist preachers that can shape Jesus into a hateful tyrant that doesn't love anybody and is all about the rules. We can make a legalistic Jesus if we want to. We, I mean, we can make a hippie Jesus. We can make an all-love Jesus. Like, you shape Jesus into your image almost subconsciously and accidentally, just like these Jews would have been at the festival of Hanukkah. When they're looking up saying, tell me right now, are you the Messiah? And then Jesus looks at them and said, I've already told you, you're just not listening. And I think the reason they weren't listening as you work through the text is because he's not the kind of Messiah they were looking for. And I'll show you that in a few minutes. He had some, some hard things. What I'd love to ask you to do is consider this text, verse 24. They said, if you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And in verse 25, Jesus says, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. Like he's already shown them all they needed to see in signs and miracles and works. He told the Samaritan woman in, in chapter 4 of John's gospel, I am he, I'm the Messiah. The problem is that he's not the Messiah they were looking for, and it's very hard for them to recognize him. So what do I want for our church? Well, for our church, as we celebrate Christmas and we set up nativities and we, we sing songs about Christ, 
As we watched Nick's baptism and Beth's baptism as they declared the lordship of Christ. Here's what I want to ask you. I mean, have you surrendered your life to Jesus and are you willing to follow him on his terms? Like, will you put up your, your marker where you've been scratching out Bible verses? Will you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? See who Jesus was and take all of his teachings. Take the hard ones and the easy ones and find a Jesus who has great expectations and more grace than you could imagine. Find a Jesus who is both very demanding and very forgiving. Find a Jesus who is extremely loving but doesn't let his people off the hook. Like, look in the text and find the real Jesus and surrender to him. Let me show you a little bit about what that would look like. Let me show you Jesus on his own terms in this text. He says to them, I've already shown you, but you didn't catch it. Let me show you a couple of things that he shows them that they don't love. Let's, let's start in verse 28. I give them eternal life, they'll never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is preaching in John's gospel very clearly eternal life. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever loved him would not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came to give eternal life. End of John's gospel, I've written these things that you may believe in, and by believing them, you may have life. The point of John's gospel is that if you find Jesus and surrender to him, if you put faith and believe in him, and I don't mean believe he exists, I mean faith, trust him, follow him, submit to him, you'll find eternal life. It just so happens that a lot of these people weren't looking for eternal life. They're not looking for a heavenly kingdom. They want power, wealth, freedom, money now. They want the Romans gone. They want their country back. And Jesus just says, that's not what I'm coming to do. I'm coming to give eternal life. And a lot of them, they weren't, they weren't ready to wait. They wanted their treasure now. But that's one of the things that they had to adjust to. What about you? Are you looking up at Jesus and you're saying, I'll follow you if you'll give it to me now. If you will own this earth right now, give me the things I'm asking for. How many of us have struggled to follow Jesus because he didn't answer some prayer that we probably shouldn't have been praying at the time? He didn't give us what we want when we wanted it. And we looked up and we said, I'm not good with your timetable. I'm not great with your plan. I've got some strong requests for you today. And when you deliver, I'll, I'll be happy to show up in church again. How many of us have struggled to follow Jesus because he did not give us what we wanted on earth when we asked? And he's looking up saying, I have a much bigger kingdom. I'm making all things new. New heaven, new earth. I'll heal all diseases. I will raise the dead. But you're a new creation now. You'll walk that earth in new creation when it's new, when I rule over it. And I'm asking you to submit and wait in faith. So one of the things that Jesus came on his terms with is, I'm building an eternal kingdom. I'm giving you everlasting life that starts now, but it's on my time. The second thing if you keep reading, look, look at the next few verses. He, he says something about himself they weren't willing to handle, and I need to check you on it. Look in verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus basically looks up and says, Hey, listen, I know you've worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I know you speak about the God that spoke from Mount Sinai. I know you're amazed at the God that created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1. I'd like to introduce you to myself. I and the Father are one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 1. But this is a hard word for these people to receive. They wanted Jesus to be a prophet, a teacher, a king, a liberator, a warrior, a soldier. 
They weren't ready for him to come to us as God in the flesh. That the Almighty would humble himself and come down. And according to John's gospel, that his own people would reject him. To stay in control, to preserve our own power, that we would prefer darkness over light. They weren't ready to accept Jesus as God in the flesh. And I wonder if you are. C.S. Lewis had a famous statement years ago, but gosh, it is, it's perfect still today. As people were becoming more progressive, it was common for us to say, I don't really believe Jesus was necessarily God or anything. I think he was a great teacher. I think he's a good religious example. I think he's a good philosopher. I think he's a good moral compass. But is he God? Ah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he was God. Even in C.S. Lewis's day, it was common for people to begin to say that. And C.S. Lewis looked up and he gave us this very famous equation. He said, listen, don't give me any more of that. He said, Jesus came to the earth and claimed to be God. And so you got three scenarios. He's the Lord, he's a lunatic, or the liar. He's either the Lord, he said he was God, knew he was God, and he was God. Or he's a lunatic. He said he was God, he thought he was God, but he was just a dude, just a carpenter turned rabbi. And therefore, he had a personality disorder and was crazy, and we shouldn't follow him. Or he was a liar. He said he was God, he knew he was not God, and indeed was not God, but told us he was. So C.S. Lewis said he's either the Lord, a lunatic, or a liar. But don't give me this half-hearted stuff about I think he was a good prophet. And here Jesus is looking at the Jewish people for the first time, putting them in that vice to say, "Mm, the Father and I are one. Hey, they didn't receive it well. Look at verse 31. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them. He's quoting Psalm 82 here. You should read it. Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, this will be the judges of Israel, those first elders to hear, and by implication, these rulers over Israel that are rejecting God's word. What about the one whom the Father has set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why do you accuse me as blasphemy because I said I'm God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. A a kind of subtle thing that you might miss in verse 36. What about the one whom the Father has set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Uh, In Greek, set apart is sanctify, to cleanse, purify, consecrate. The Feast of Dedication was all about consecrating the place of worship, the temple. Just a few chapters ago, the, the Samaritan woman said, where should we worship? The Messiah will come and tell us where to worship. And Jesus said, uh, I'll, it won't matter whether you're in Jerusalem or Gerizim then. The worshipers the Father seeks are worshipers in spirit and truth. And here Jesus come, not as Judas Maccabee with a sword to cleanse the temple temporarily for a generation. But Jesus come to be cleansed and sent in the world to consecrate you and me. Jesus is set apart by God as the one who will set you apart for God. And that's a hard thing to submit to, that your works will never make you right with God. You can't be good enough and you should stop trying. You should submit to Jesus and let your good works flow out of your life of gratitude and obedience. But don't be deceived to think that you're going to earn God's favor. He won't love you more. He won't love you less. He loves you in Christ Jesus. But you've got to make Christ king. These guys on that day weren't ready for it. You know, it's interesting that 
Not only does he say, I'm here to give you eternal life, even though they just want freedom from the Romans. Not only does he say, I and the Father are one, and they're not ready for Jesus to be God in the flesh. They want, to, they want a God that sends fire from heaven, not a God that comes to walk their streets and die on a cross for them. But just a few verses ago, it won't be on the screen, but it's in your Bible if you want to look. In the first part of John chapter 10, Jesus makes a speech about how he is the door and the good shepherd. Verse 7, he says, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. He's the way that we're going to enter to God. But he tells us in John 10 that the way he's going to do that is by laying down his life. Look in verse 11, 15, and 18. In verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. They weren't ready for a Messiah who was coming to die to cleanse us. For God coming to be a sacrifice to atone his people. They wanted a warrior who would run the Romans out again. And as a result, he's working miracles, he's teaching clearly, and they're still walking up to him saying, say it differently, try it one more time. The real problem here is that they weren't ready to submit and believe in Jesus on his own terms. And I wonder for some of us if that's our situation. You know that you need to follow Christ for what the years you have left. You know that you need to surrender your life to Jesus, to honor him until the day you die. And you keep talking yourself out of it. And maybe a big part of that is because you keep creating Jesus and the image that people have forecasted in front of you from their behavior. I don't care if you've rejected their Jesus. I just care if you've rejected the real Jesus. Don't let somebody else's bad behavior misshape Jesus into their image. But likewise, don't come to him and misshape him into your own. I'm asking you today, would you follow Christ? Would you take up a cross, die to yourself, and spend the rest of your life loving him and being loved, obeying his commands and not finding them burdensome? I end the message this morning with this last appeal. Will you believe? Yeah, Jesus said that his sheep know his voice, and he tells these people, you're not receiving me because you're just not my sheep. You don't want to hear my voice. But he leaves the door open for belief. Look in verse 38. Look in verse 42. In verse 38, he says, talking about works, but if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know, know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. He looks at these people hard-hearted, at the Feast of Dedication, walking around Solomon's colonnade, talking about Judas, talking about cleansing, talking about the Romans and the Greeks. And his last appeal is, Put your faith in me. In the Bible where it says believe, I think you know this, but if you don't, in the Bible where it says believe in me, it doesn't mean believe like we use the term. We use the term believe as in, do you believe the dinosaurs were real? Do you think it factually happened, right? Well, yeah, okay. Do you believe the earth is flat? Brother, I hope not. Right, like we use the term belief just saying thumbs up, thumbs down, do you think this happened? And so when people say, oh, I believe in Jesus, some of them are just saying, I believe that he lived a long time ago. That is not what the term means in your Bible. In the New Testament, every place you see the word believe, it's translating the word for faith, pistis. It is telling you in Greek, put your faith in Christ, which means that you put your future and your fate 
in the hands of Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose again to be your king. It means you trust him and you will follow him with your life. So when he says here, believe in me, he's not saying believe that I'm real. He's saying put your faith in me and start to follow me now. Make me your king. Surrender control to me and go where I lead you. Have you done that? In verse 42, the text ends this way. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. It is the Christmas season and we are ready to celebrate. I'm telling you, it's, it's empty if for you. It's just lights and presents, a few family gatherings and a nativity scene in the front yard. If you will not submit to Christ, you're missing the whole point of this thing. It's easy for us to think about him as a precious baby, as an infant child born beneath a bright star with shepherds attending. But as he grew and taught about himself, he invited his people to follow him. And I'm inviting you. So let me ask it this way. Today, if you're not following Jesus, the real Jesus, why aren't you? Is there a reason that you're not? Why wouldn't you choose to do it right now? Why wouldn't you decide today? Why wouldn't today be the day that you said things are changing right now? Starting now, I'm following Jesus. If you've been making Jesus in your own image, would today be the day that you stopped? Today might be the day that you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and begin to recover the real image of your righteous king. And you start following now and forever and change the rest of your life. That is my simple invitation. Today, would you choose to stop making Jesus in your own image? Today, would you choose to stop rejecting the broken images of Jesus that people have lived out in front of you? And would you choose to surrender to our king? Take him on his terms. Obey his commands and follow him until your very last breath. I'm going to pray that God would give you courage to say yes to that. And that if his Holy Spirit is convicting you, that you'd have the ability during this response time to come down and pray, to come talk to me or sit on your pew and give your life to Christ. Father, we ask for courage, clarity, wisdom. Lord, that we would be able to let go God, that we get over our pride and our fear, our control, and that we would fully submit to your rule over us. That we would abandon the images that we've preferred and we'd stop making you in our own likeness. But God, that starting today, we would follow King Jesus just as he presented himself to us in the word. We ask your favor in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and respond.